Welcome to Fracking and Health, Ask an Expert. The Endocrine Disruption Exchange has been studying the health impacts from unconventional oil and gas development, also known as fracking, since 2004. In each episode, our Executive Director, Carol Kwiatkowski, asks an expert to answer a question on how fracking may affect your health. You can submit a question at TEDx.org. Welcome to episode 18, where we ask, what does fracking have to do with plastic? This is the second part of a two-part series, so you might want to listen to episode 17 if you haven't already. We're talking today with David Asoulay, who's the managing attorney of the Geneva office at the Center for International Environmental Law, and he's the director of the Environmental Health Program. Welcome, Mr. Asoulay. Thank you. In the last podcast, we talked with your colleague, Stephen Fight about fracking and how that's related to the production of petrochemical-based plastics. Let's extend that now to talk more about plastics themselves. What happens at this stage? First of all, thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to discuss these issues with your listeners. And I think one of the first thing that is very important to understand is what are we talking about when we're talking about plastics? Most of the plastic that <clears throat> we're familiar with and that we interact in daily, or rather all of the plastic that we do interact with daily, is uh, made of several components. The first one is a polymer, so a long uh, chain of a carbon-based uh, molecule. Then you have a number, relatively large, depending on the types of plastic, of chemical additives. And those additives can help to make the plastic uh, transparent or opaque or flexible or hard or give some flame retardant properties to whatever object we want to use. So all of the functionalities, property, functional properties uh, of the plastic that we're using is conferred upon it by um, petrochemicals additives, by other types of chemicals that are added to the polymer. And in many instances, plastic also contains non-intentional added substances, the uh, NAIS, as they're commonly referred, because we like additives in our line of work. It's just, it's not to make it more obscure to everyone who's listening, that's just uh, part of how we... Uh, we used to, to do things. So again, plastic is the polymer, the additive, and the non-intentional added substances that can just be um, relicate, something that's left over from the, from the production process. And when we look at the impacts of plastic, it is very important to look at the impacts, to distinguish between the impact of the micro of the plastic themselves, whatever their size is, the impacts of the various chemical additives, and how they both interact with, with one another. Now, we're all familiar with plastic, and we use plastic every day, from food packaging to a number of things, but it's really present, including in places where you might not think of plastic, but uh, we're talking airplane uh, constructions, car building materials, obviously medical appliances, and a lot of others. So really, plastic is uh, extremely pervasive in everywhere, uh, everywhere we look. And when I was talking earlier about the makeup of the plastic that we use, it is very different from one type of plastic to the other. On average, it is considered that additives make up about 20% 
by weight of any plastic object, but it can go up to 80% in the case of specific types of plastic like PVC, for example, which contains a lot of additives. And all of those additives are themselves made from uh, petrochemicals. They're the result of uh, the refining of uh, petrochemicals product and now more and more the refining of uh, ethane and uh, fossil fuel that are being extracted through fracking. So clearly we are interacting with plastic pretty much every day, most people in the world. It, how, can you talk more about how we're exposed to the chemicals in the plastic products and what impacts that has on our health and on the environment? Sure. So there are three main routes of exposure to any kind, any types of substance. In order for a substance to have an impact on human health, it needs to come in contact with some part of our body, with, um, with our biological self. And those main three exposure routes are inhalation, so that those are things that we breathe in and they get into our body through our lungs and through the interface between our lungs and our um, bloodstreams. The second route uh, is ingestions, so anything that we eat and that will then uh, get into our body through our digestive tract and also the way our intestine will uh, at the interface between our digestive tract and our bloodstream. And the third uh, main route of exposure is through uh, skin contact, direct contact with a particular product. Each of these different exposure routes mean different kinds of impacts and obviously also relate to different kinds of, uh, how we're, of exposure, how we're exposed to different kinds of products. Now, one thing that uh, we, found, we found out, and we've published a report re recently on the uh, health impacts along the plastic life cycle, and one of the things that we're really interested in highlighting in this report and in the work that we do is how when we talk about plastic, uh, it is very important to consider the whole life cycle. And it's very important not to limit ourselves to our use of plastic as consumer or as uh, plastic waste. And so we've identified uh, four main stages of the plastic life cycle and added a fifth one uh, that I'm sure will make a lot of sense when you hear about them. So the first is about extraction and transport of the feedstock of the fossil fuel that will then be turned to plastic. The second stage of the life cycle is the refining of those fossil fuel feedstock and manufacture of the plastic and the various additives that will make up the plastic. Then you have the consumer uses, of course, or the uses of plastics. The fourth part and should be the final part of the life cycle of plastic is the waste management part. But we are in our report, we're also considering what are the impacts of the plastic once it has gone out into the environment. And so for each of those specific stages of the life cycle, we are exposed through to specific chemicals and we're exposed to specific uh, routes of exposures. So if you take, for example, the extraction and transport, which is probably what your listeners are most familiar with, we know that the fracking operations 
uses a vast number of chemicals and a large number of those have been identified by the EPA who are by no means known as uh, green freaks or revolutionaries in terms of environmental health. So over 170 chemicals that have been uh, identified as toxic, highly toxic, whether they're capsinogenic or endocrine disruptors and others. And how are the population exposed to these different types of chemicals? Well, two main ways. First of all, via inhalation, because some of those compounds that are used are volatile and will es escape into the air. We know that the fracking operation also involves uh, the use of many trucks that will also emit a lot of uh, compounds into the atmosphere that people just breathe in by the very fact that they live in or around um, fracking operation. And when we say in or around, it's important to understand that certain types of air pollution, such as ozone, for example, uh, the precursors of ozone can travel up to 200 kilometers from their point of emission. So the area to which people are exposed through inhalation can be pretty large. Similarly, we know that the fracking operation have a great impact on the water sources in and around fracking operation. And that those operations actually pollute the water tables and the water all around fracking operation, which lead to uh, contamination by ingestion, because once all of those chemicals are emitted into the water, people actually drink the water, and uh, this is how people are exposed. So I already mentioned a lot of the, that the vast number of chemicals that are identified as being part of the fracking operation. And we know that all those chemicals have impacts ranging from affecting the immune system, from impact on sensory organ, liver and kidneys. And those impacts can include cancer, neuroreproductive and developmental toxicity, as well as irritation of a different sensory organ. So that is for one of the impacts, which is often part of the plastic story that is not being told, but is very important to consider when we're discussing the possible impacts of plastic. The second part of the uh, life cycle of plastic is the refining and manufacture, how those fracked gas and fracked fossil fuels are being transformed to various types of polymers and different types of plastic additives. Now here, the exposure is particularly acute for workers and for the communities that live around those uh, refining facilities and those different facilities. And uh, those listeners of yours based in the US will have heard about those uh, infamous cancer alleys, which is those areas where a lot of the petrochemical facilities are located. And what we found out in our research, in our study, is that the emission from those facilities includes some very well-known uh, toxicants, uh, such as benzene, for example, which has been known as a bone marrow poison for over a century, as well as uh, styrene, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbon, and a small number of other highly toxic processing aid or processing agent, for example, like 1,3-butadine and others. And so most of the uh, exposure here happens, actually all three exposure routes are concerned uh, at this stage of the life cycle because people are exposed directly when those chemicals that are released into the air or deposit on the soil 
are uh, they get in direct contact with it with their eyes or skin or others which create a number of a lot of irritation and for the population living around those facilities there's also major exposure via inhalation because a lot of those uh, chemicals are emitted into the air in the form of gas but most of them are odorless and colorless so it's very hard to know what you're being exposed to but the impact from those again range from uh, cancer neurotoxicity Reproductive toxicity, a lot of endocrine disruptors are used in those, um, in those facilities. Low birth weight, uh, we've seen incredible rates of very low birth rate in communities living around those uh, petrochemical facilities. Then there's also through ingestion because some of the pollution also happens, uh, is also released into water, whether it's the groundwater or surface water that are being used by the people, but also de deposit on the soil uh, all around the facilities that will then pollute whatever food is grown on these soils. Another element of the pollution, indirect pollution that arises from this stage of the production is that a num uh, quite a, a quantity of the finished product, whether it's the microplastic nurdles or some of the uh, petrochemicals, are also released direct, are lost in the process and released directly in the, in the environment. So further increasing the impact that these may have or further increasing the possible exposure to extend way beyond the communities that live around uh, those facilities. Because when microplastic escapes in waterways around those facilities that then get into the oceans and people living thousands of miles away can then be impacted either by directly ingesting the microplastic or by ingesting fish or marine life that has been contaminated with those microplastic and or with those chemicals. But we'll get to this uh, a little uh, at the end of this. Then there's the consumer use. And as consumer, we're, we, like I said, we're exposed to a lot of different types of plastics and a lot of the different chemicals. And some of the chemicals that are used in the plastics are actually known very, to be very toxic, whether it's um, heavy metals like cadmium and lead, which are used as a colorant or st stabilizer in a lot of uh, plastics, but also a lot of uh, brominated flame retardant, bisphenol, uh, a lot of uh, perfluorinated substances, a lot of phthalates that are also well-known endocrine disruptors. And all of these compounds are found in the everyday plastic that we use. And we get exposed to it via ingestion because some of it will be released into the food that it actually wraps and that it's supposed to protect. So we will ingest some of those um, uh, toxic chemicals that are associated with plastic. We will also inhale a number of them because some of those, will, some of those chemicals will be released into uh, household dust, for example, or will be released when they're heated up. And if you think of all the wiring that you have in your house and all the computer equipment and electronic equipment, which casing is usually made of plastic and that almost systematically includes brominated flame retardant. We know that when those appliances heat, some of those brominated flame retardant will be released into the atmospheres of our house and will uh, be inhaled by the inhabitants. It's also true for a lot of the plastics fibers that are used for carpets, for example, that will release uh, associated chemicals into the, um, into the household. As for the direct contact with those materials, well, we all manipulate plastic stuff 
um, all day long. Not all plastic will, re will release some of their additives into the atmosphere or through the skin, but a lot of them will. So there is, again, this uh, different routes of exposure uh, while we use plastic that, again, all of those plastic additives, chemicals additive, include heavy metals, uh, pups, persistent organic um, pollutants, carcinogenics, many endocrine disrupting chemicals, many mic uh, and microplastic themselves that can also have an impact, physical impact uh, on our health. Again, the health impacts that we've identified associated with that particular stage of the life cycle include renal, uh, cardiovascular, and ga gastrointestinal and neurological, reproductive, and respiratory systems, so impact on each of those different systems. All of your readership uh, familiar, again, with uh, science around endocrine disruption uh, will probably understand that very readily. Some of the impacts also relate to diabetes, some of the diabetes, cancers, and developmental toxicity. Now we're moving to the next phase of the, of the plastic life cycle, which is about the waste uh, management. And maybe it's useful to note in that respect that of all the plastic that we've created so far since the 50s, about 8 to 9% has been recycled, and that is not exempt of problem itself, but we'll talk about this shortly. So 9% being recycled, about 12% is being incinerated, which is also a massive source of exposure to toxic compounds. And then the rest ends up in landfills, where it leaches in soil or in waters, or directly disposed of into the environment, where it will fragment and turn into microplastic, creating its own set of problems. Now, if you take uh, incineration, again, one thing that is important to realize is how incinerators are usually located in poor communities, at, at the middle of poor communities. So poor communities bear a disproportionate impact of the pollution created by incinerators. And when you incinerate plastic, so first of all, you usually incinerate it with a lot of different waste from different waste streams. But as I mentioned, plastic contains a lot of toxic chemicals, whether they're chlorine-based or bromine-based or heavy metals and others. And the incineration process does not destroy any of those or the vast, does not destroy the vast majority of those chemicals. That means that you will find those different types of toxic compounds, chlorine compounds, uh, again, brominated dioxide, uh, heavy metals, and others, and whatever effluent you get from the incinerator. Now, most of the most uh, recent and the state-of-the-art incinerator have pretty good filters that filter the emissions into the atmosphere. But whatever is actually filtered then has to be disposed of and is concentrated into the ashes of the incinerator or in the sludge of the incinerator. In some instances, in some cases, some of those sludge can be used, it can be put on, on agricultural soil, but in most cases, they're uh, themselves disposed into toxic or hazardous uh, landfill. And by this, I want to show that while you would think that incinerating plastic would get you rid of both the waste and the possible toxicity, what you see is actually a spreading of the toxicity through the different effluents from the uh, incinerators. And, whatever, and, and that's a general idea around plastic. Whatever toxics comes in 
has to come out at some point. So it's toxic in, toxic out. The only problem is that the liability is diffused at the different stages. Now, one quick word about the recycling of plastic. We all believe that recycling of plastic is useful and is something that we should strive for. Now, the problem is when you have plastic that contains uh, certain levels and in some cases high level of, for example, brominated flame retardant, when you recycle the plastic, what you do is reconcentrate these particular toxics and recirculate them into the environment for further exposure. And again, they will degrade again, they will create new exposure and new accumulation because we know that a lot of those toxics, such as POPs and others, accumulate throughout the food chain. So while plastic and thinking in terms of circular economy uh, can be extremely useful in devising ways beyond uh, the plastic world that we live in, it is critical to think about safe recycling and to think about yeah, a safe circular uh, economy. And for that, the only way to do that is to restrict the use of a number of those toxic chemicals into the, that goes into the plastic. Because again, whatever comes in will have to come out at some point. And at every of those stages of things coming in and out, there will be different types of exposure, inhalation, exposure through the fumes, or again, um, ingestion through the food, food chain being polluted or direct contact with the skin of the various sensory organ. Now, I'm coming to the end of the description of the impacts, the, the, the health impacts of plastic, but one thing that has gotten quite a bit of attention that is worth looking at again is what happens to the vast majority of the plastic that gets into the environment. And in that respect, it is very key to understand that plastic doesn't disappear. Plastic doesn't degrade, it fragments. It, it fragments into smaller pieces. And what we found uh, in that relation is that all compartments of the environment that are, have been tested are contaminated. Oceans and freshwater ecosystem air, both indoor and outdoor, farmland and soils that have been tested are all contaminated with, toxic, with plastics and toxic chemicals associated with plastic. In a way, you could say that even babies are born pre-polluted because now our bodies are obviously contaminated, but babies are born pre-polluted because they get exposed to a lot of those toxics through the umbilical cord while they're still in the womb. And when the blood of newborn babies is being tested, it's amazing the amount of toxic chemicals that can be found in their blood. So when plastic fragments, it makes plastic, it, so fragmentation means that a particle of plastic are getting smaller and smaller. First of all, in the micro range, micro range, so around five millimeters, then we're now starting to understand that they, they fragment even further into the nano range which is, you know, from one to roughly 1,000 nanometer, which is very, very small. And when that happens, the micro or nanoparticles of plastic, both the polymer and the toxic chemicals, are made bioavailable again to enter the, the food chain. And once plastic is in the environment, it can do two things in relation to toxic additives. First of all, it can leach toxic additives, and as the plastic gets weathered, new surface is exposed, 
uh, through air or UV light or others, releasing at each stage some of the toxic additives that we've identified that are part of the plastic makeup. But when plastic is, microplastic is in certain types of environment, like the ocean, for example, we've also found that it acts as a sort of magnet for existing pollution that is already in the environment, such as certain pops, for example, like PCBs and others that may or may not be associated with plastic originally, but that will adsorb onto the microparticle of plastic, again, making them bioavailable again. We were also finding out that these microparticles of plastic can transport pathogens from one part of the world to others because they will similarly absorb some of, the, some of those pathogens. Now, on the impacts of all of those plastics that are in the environment and the rate at which they will leach certain types of chemicals and others, there's still some unknowns that are related and knowledge gaps that are related to the size of the plastic, the shape, the content, the makeup of the plastic, even sometimes the color of the plastic will mean different types of behavior in terms of releasing or absorbing different types of chemicals. But again, each of those, once the microplastic are out in the environment, they're taking up in the food chain and, they're, and are then further consumed by humans. And so there is a major ingestion phase, but also by just wear and tear, plastic will release microparticles of plastics into the air. We know that, for example, the air in cities is full of microparticles of tires that come from the wear and tear of tires that we will then inhale and will also interact then with our own bodies because they will go through the lung and they can go quite deep into the lung. Again, uh, the health effects of all of those are not entirely pinned down. There's still, like I mentioned earlier, some questions around what are the exact effects. But we do know for a fact and for sure that those plastic can have an effect on uh, cardio the cardiovascular, renal, uh, gastrointestinal, ne neurological, reproductive, and respiratory systems. And we know that similarly to the impacts we've identified in the use phase can trigger different types of cancers, uh, different types of diabetes, neuroreproductive and developmental toxicity, et cetera, et cetera. Well, thank you. I think you've left us with no doubt that plastics are not good for people or the planet. And given everything that you know about this, what would you suggest at this point that people uh, or nonprofits can do about it? So I look at it in, in two different types of things that can be done. There's what you can do at the individual level. And let's be clear, a number of things can be done at the intellectual level. But let's also be clear, not everything can be done at the, at the individual level, at the consumer level. And because of the trends and because plastic is a seller's market rather than it is a, a buyer's market, is more influenced by what the producers of plastic, how much they want to produce and how much they want to put out to what the market tells, tells them, there are only limited things that we can do. But at individual level, we can pay attention at using, there are a lot of zero waste uh, solutions that help us use as little plastic as possible and be quite conscient about what, how much plastic that we're using. But I think more importantly, and I think this is also where your question was getting at, is what can we do as organization or as a social movement to address this issue? I think the first 
thing that we should be doing about this is, or we should reflect on, is how we talk about the issue. And we know that narrative are a very powerful means to bring people together and to make people work together and address a common problem. So the sort of narrative that we build around plastic is really critical. And in that uh, respect, making sure that whenever we talk about the impacts of plastic and when we talk about plastic, we consider the full life cycle of plastic and not only the waste part that we don't like seeing in our rivers or in our oceans or polluting our landscapes, but really talk about plastic is at the heart of the fracking boom that we're currently seeing in the US. And plastic is also the reason for all those cancer alleys that we're seeing popping out that used to be just found in a few places now, but they're popping out in Texas, in Louisiana, in uh, the Appalachia region and other places in the US. Um, so really looking at plastic and looking at the full life cycle of plastic, when we talk about it and when we think about the different impacts and when we talk about it and when we try to devise solution, I think is a very powerful mode of bringing people together to collaborate in trying to devise a solution. Because let's be very clear, plastic is quite a complex object. It has a complex life cycle. It has a complex value chain. And there is no silver bullet that can be used and it will finally address. Whatever is done needs to focus on reducing the health impact, need to focus on reducing the human rights impact, which I didn't speak about that much, but which are also really quite important. And in the end, we know that it will require a drastic reduction of virgin plastic production, just a reduction of production, because we cannot keep on increasing the production of this material that we cannot deal with in any appropriate way in which poisons both our human bodies and the environment at every stages of its life cycle. So we'll have to go through this. But how does that happen? Again, it happens through creating the narrative that will allow to leverage the public outcry around plastic and use it in our different areas of work. And that leads to my second point, which is it is very important to break down the various silos or join broader movements that look at those issues very broadly and holistically. Now, it doesn't require us to change the way we do our work, but just to make sure that we're open and connect to the different social movements that are working to protect communities that are living in or around transformation and refining facilities or fracking well, or the communities that are working to reduce the impact of food packaging, for example, or the communities that are working to reduce the impacts of plastic waste on fishing communities or on farming communities. And very often, it's hard for us because we're all so busy and overwhelmed with the amount of problems that we're dealing with to truly connect with these broader movements. But at the heart of all those movements is the petrochemical complex that extracts resources that should be staying in the ground for our climate and for general health, that transforms it into all sorts of products that will then have a very long uh, poison legacy, and which is why when we talk about the plastic life cycle, it would actually be more accurate to talk about the plastic death cycle, because this is what we're talking about. So those would be my two main recommendations. Uh, look at the whole life cycle whenever you talk about plastic or any stage of the life cycle, connect it with the other parts of the life cycle, and 
broaden your engagement with the broader movement that will also allow us to identify solutions that don't just move the contamination pollution from one population or from one stage of the life cycle to the next, but really allow us to devise a holistic uh, approaches and solution to the issue. Thank you, Mr. Azale. I want to let our listeners know that this information in this podcast comes from uh, your Plastic Planet report from the Center for International Environmental Law. And that link will be available on our website when we release the podcast. So thank you very much for this information. It's nice to have you Thank you very much for taking the time. You're welcome. TEDx is a nonprofit research institute funded by grants from private foundations and by donations from individuals like you who care about our health and the environment. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider making a tax-deductible gift to TEDx so we can continue bringing you the most up-to-date scientific information on the impacts of fracking on your health. Please visit our website at tedx.org for more information on what we do, to submit a question for an expert, or to make a donation. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.